And now this from Luke in the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. Because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Luke tells us in this reading this morning that this is Jesus who's come up alongside these two fellows. But they're in the dark. They do not recognize him as Jesus. They think he is some stranger who's out of the loop. I mean, they can't believe that he's asking, what are you talking about? Isn't everybody talking about this? Well, everybody in their circle is talking about it. But why is that? Not only because Jesus has been crucified, but as Luke records in verse 21, it is because we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one that was going to finally throw off the shackles of the Roman invaders to get rid of the Roman army, to set them free again as a people, God's own people. 
we were hoping that he was the one. But they're sad because he's dead. He's been crucified. I say, it's been three days. But some tell us that he's still alive. We have this report that he's still alive. But yet, all we can really verify is an empty tomb. You can tell they're not so sure about what's going on here. And they're not understanding what they're right in the middle of. But this stranger then begins to give them quite a Bible lesson. Luke says he begins all the way back to Moses and interprets all the prophets and all the scriptures in terms of how they might understand this fellow that they thought was the Messiah, the one who had come from God to set them free to redeem Israel. But they still do not recognize him. Even after he explains all of that to them, they still do not recognize him. They still do not know this is Jesus. They, they don't see that it's the risen Christ. Later in the story, they look back and say, were not our hearts burning within us when he was talking with us on the road? So often in our Christian life, it's only in hindsight that we confirm that God indeed was at work in our lives. That God was teaching us or leading us or prompting us or shaping us or forming us into all that God wants us to be. Only when we look back so often can we see what God was up to and how God was working in our lives. I was reminded this week as I was reading through this scripture of that story called The Happy Hypocrite. It's a story about a fellow who was really not a very kind guy, somewhat devious, maybe even an evil person. But he fell in love with a saintly young woman. He wanted to woo her, to win her heart. But he knew that the person he was would repel her that she would never give him a chance. And so the story tells that he dons the mask of a saint and begins to woo her. And it works. And the ruse goes on and on. And this relationship develops. It looks like everything is going to be wonderful. Then in one day, someone who knew him from his past comes along and recognizes what is going on. And challenges him to take off his mask in front of her. Oh, now he's been exposed. Now it's getting ready to get ugly. But he reluctantly pulls off the mask. And what they find is that he has become what he had only pretended to be. Indeed, it is the face of a saint it is the heart of one who loves God. So often, it is only in hindsight that we see the hand of God at work in our lives. Well, Luke goes on in the story to say they finally arrive at the house of these two fellows who were walking on this road to Emmaus. And the stranger appears to be going on ahead of them as if he's not going to stay. They urge him strongly, Luke says. They encourage him. They invite him, maybe beg him to 
stay with them, to eat with them. Oh, it's late in the evening. You should not go any further. You should stay with us. And then Luke records these words in verse 29 through 31. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Then, then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Do you recognize those actions, that kind of experience with Jesus at the table? Do you remember that last night that Jesus is with his disciples here on earth? It's back in Luke chapter 22. He tells us that they're together having a meal. And there comes a point in the meal when Jesus takes the bread. Do you remember this? And blesses it or give thanks and then breaks it and then gives it to them. It's the same four actions that Luke tells us happen again at this meal with just these two disciples this time at this house in Emmaus. The Last Supper becomes the Lord's Supper or what we commonly refer to as Holy Communion. And did you notice that even though Jesus is the guest in the house, when they come to this table, he becomes the host. He takes the bread. He blesses or gives thanks. He breaks it, and he gives it to them. This is the place. This is the place that we recognize him. At the table, at the altar of the church, is where we remember and therefore recognize him alive in our lives it's when we come forward and kneel and receive the bread that we know that he is blessed and broken and is offering to us luke is trying to make this connection for us between what's happened in the 22nd chapter on that last night he's with them and what's going to happen from now on because jesus has said when he did these actions in chapter 22 do this in remembrance of me right whenever you do this whenever you participate in the breaking of the bread do this in remembrance of me he says he's making a connection between this meal and the suffering and the death the crucifixion and the resurrection and Christ being alive he teaches them Luke says when he's talking about the scriptures that it was a necessity for him to experience this suffering, but it leads to glory, he tells them. This breaking and giving leads to new life. It's the spiritual dynamics. It's the path of Christ. It's the path laid before all of us. It's a path of such great love that it just pours out of one who comes to know the love of God. It's a self-giving love that leads sometimes to suffering for Jesus even unto death. But a great love that keeps on giving. When we give our lives to God or in love and service to God's children, we find that it leads us to new life. Crucifixion to resurrection. That's the spiritual dynamic. That's the path of Christ. That's the invitation for all of us. That if we're willing to know the love of God, then we're also called to share the love of God. And as we do, 
We experience new life, new birth. We are born again, as John says. I was reading a story about a guy who was only 19 years old, and a buddy of his convinced him that he ought to come help coach a baseball team, but it turns out the buddy really wasn't going to be there. And so he ends up as a 19-year-old coaching this baseball team from this orphanage, and he realizes they have no experience with baseball. They have no uniforms. They have no equipment. They don't know anything about it. And the truth is, he doesn't know very much about it. But he's agreed to coach, and now he's here with the boys, and the other guy is gone, so he does his best, and the boys try hard. But really, it's a disaster. They have 16 games that season. They lose all 16 games. It was terrible. And yet, by the end of the season, this young man realizes that he has come to love these boys. And he doesn't know it until they invite him to stay and coach them in football in the fall that they've come to love him too. Well, he thinks about it. At least he played football in high school. He knows a little bit about that. At least they have equipment for that sport. And so he agrees to stay on. And they do so much better. They turn this thing around. In fact, they turn it completely around. They go undefeated. They win the league. I mean, they have a great experience in football. But even more importantly than that is this young man who was planning and studying to be an attorney decides that he doesn't want to spend his time in court. He wants to spend his time with children who need someone to love them. And he changes his course of study, gets his degree, and becomes a sports coach for kids. He spends the rest of his life doing that. As it turned out, he coaches mostly basketball, but he was really good as a basketball coach. By the end of his career, he had an 87% winning percentage. That is huge. But he says more important than that, that he found his life's calling. It wasn't to, to be a lawyer, but it was to invest in children to share whatever he could to help them be better people when they interview other coaches who are around him that coached against him or received his players he said you know every one of the players that came out of his program although not all were great athletes they all came out quality people they were great people they were wonderful to be around you see, when he found his calling and gave his life for others, if you will, it was a blessing to him. Oh, it was a blessing to the orphanage, to the school, to the boys, but it was a blessing to him. It changed his life. That's the spiritual dynamic that Luke is pointing out to us in this story today. It's the path of Christ. It's the path that we're called to follow. So these two guests, I mean, these two disciples invite this guest in, offering him hospitality, but there's this reversal, as so often happens in the gospel. They're the ones who end up with the blessing. They're the ones who end up realizing that they don't have to be sad any longer, that the one they thought was going to be the one really is the one, but even better than they thought, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. He's revealing God's love and 
breaking open the doors of heaven for the whole world. Coming to communion is not only a command of Christ to remember him in the breaking of the bread, but it is a blessing, promising new life. Every time we come, it's a blessing for us, offering us a new start, a fresh beginning, a new life, a new encounter and connection with God, the lover of our souls. Well, just before the story's over in verse 35, after they've had this great experience and finally recognized Jesus as the risen Christ in the breaking of the bread, Luke tells us, that they got so excited that even though they've spent all day walking to Emmaus, they turn around and head back to Jerusalem that very hour. And when they get there, the other disciples are saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And then he records this in verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Then they went and told someone else. That's so important for us to hear. That once they recognize Christ as alive, then they go and tell someone else. Once they have received the blessing, they go to share that blessing with someone else. There's a story about a seminary professor from Oklahoma who was visiting Tennessee. He was in a, just a little diner one morning with his wife eating breakfast. He noticed that there was this distinguished white-haired gentleman kind of moving from table to table, spending a little time in conversation with each one. They're on vacation. He doesn't want to be bothered. He leans over to his wife and whispers, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, guess where he comes? He turns and heads right toward their table. Says, well, hello, folks. How are you today? They say, we're fine. He says, I don't recognize you. Where are you from? The professor says, well, I'm from Oklahoma. The guy, so friendly, says, well, what do you do in Oklahoma? He says, well, I teach at a seminary. The older man thought for a moment. He said, um, you teach preachers how to preach? He said, well, yeah, that's what I do. And the guy says, I've got a great story for you. Grabbed a chair from the next table, pulled it up, and sat down with them. He said, look at that window. See that mountain right over there? There was a boy born just sort of on the other side of that mountain to an unwed mother. He had a hard life as a young boy because people in that small community where he lived kept asking him, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? It was a source of great embarrassment and humiliation for this young boy. He said by the time he got in school, he wouldn't sit with the rest of the kids at lunch or play with them on the playground because he was so sick and tired of people bringing that up. Even when he went to church, he said he, he would slip in late and leave early just because there was so much whispering and finger pointing and so much fear within him that someone's going to say, now who's your daddy? But when he was 12 years old, a new preacher was sent to that church. And this young lad liked this guy. He still was slipping out early, but he said on one Sunday, he finished a sermon so early and said the benediction so quick that the kid couldn't get out. 
And the preacher beat him to the back of the building, and so he had to go by him. And just as he got to him, this new preacher, not knowing this young lad, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Now, son, who's your daddy? And the church got deathly quiet. And the preacher realized something was wrong. But also perhaps being attuned to the Holy Spirit said, Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I I see it now. There's a family resemblance. You're a child of God. And the boy brightened up, and he patted him on the back and said, Oh, son, you've got a great inheritance. Go out and claim it. He said, That's a great story, isn't it? And the seminary professor said, That is a great story. And he said, I'll tell you what. That boy was never the same again. I'll tell you, it changed his life. And then he stood up, put the chair back, and began to leave, and then turned around and said, you know what? If that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably would have never amounted to anything. And then he walked away. And the professor and his wife looked at each other stunned.